Hey, Northwest Arkansas, welcome back to another episode of Hey, Hey, NWA. We are back after a little bit of a break. We are going to get back into our rhythm, get pumped, get excited. We are excited. We're pumped. An unannounced hiatus, I think. I don't think we ever said in our episodes recently that we were going to take a little bit of a breaky break. Correct, but we've operated under the impression that we would do five months on, one month off. Yeah. And hopefully by me saying that right now... We never have to say it again. Mm-hmm. Check the box. Uh, but yeah, Peyton and I have been doing some vacationing and working on some other projects that aren't this specific platform thing called a podcast. Um, so we've been doing some other stuff and it's been a lot of fun. Wait, uh, give some examples. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we've been doing a lot of karaoke recently. Mm-hmm. We've been doing some trivia recently. We, oh, and we changed it up. We, we did change up... Uh, trivia which you've probably heard about at this point maybe on the podcast or otherwise or um, but we were playing board games in addition to like a trivia format Um, and so for the whole month well I guess by the time you will be hearing this we will have done finished doing clue and we'll move on to a different board game Um, we'll find out what that board game is when we play it we're still we're in July right now so anyway uh, we'll be doing a new game come August um, but it's really neat. It's a spin on trivia that I haven't seen done anywhere else, and it's been a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're going to be doing some of that and some more karaoke uh, through the rest of the summer and stuff, um, and some hopefully some upcoming projects that you'll hear about when they're more further along. Yeah. So, anyway, that being said, <clears throat> we are back, and we are back um, with a vengeance. Uh, we have no interview for you here today. You know, you know as well as we know that you've been missing our voices. You're here mm-hmm. for us and us alone. We understand that. Um, so uh, this this week, getting us back into what is this is what we would call season four, arbitrarily call season. Four. Oh yeah, we we can just call it whatever we want, but yeah, I call it season four. Uh, the fall semester of Hey Hey NWA, I guess. Um, it's like we were transfer students. We started in January, you know, a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. And then and we so, took summer classes and catching up. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Gotta Anyways. <laughs> so we are, uh, we're going to start this first episode off, um, for this season with the Nozark superstition. We haven't done like a full length episode of that in a while. And we haven't done any length of any part of any Ozark superstition in some time. Um, so we're going to be checking back in with Vance Randolph. Um, he's, long dead by now. Zach, do you want to remind people of who Vance Randolph is? Yeah, Vance Randolph was a historian um, who was scouring the Ozarks, maybe the, like the tri-state area of Missouri, Arkansas, uh, Oklahoma a little bit, um, doing historical work of people who lived in the backwoods of the Ozarks, which is really neat, um, and recorded a bunch of their mythologies and daily practices and this sort of thing, just putting it down on paper because most of their stuff was like oral tradition and never got recorded anywhere. So he published this book um, in the 1930s or 40s, I don't remember off the top of my head, um, about Ozark culture, um, the people who were here 
100, 200 or 100 years ago um, in this same region uh, and told their stories, which is really fun. So we dive in every once in a while into these and talk about everything from ghost stories to uh, getting your crush to like you back to marriage practices to how to take care of your crops. And this week, uh, starting out with a big old great wonderful thing we're talking about death and burial man <laughs> that's something that season four maybe maybe this is gonna be a constant theme who knows welcome to season four death. it's all about death and burial sure sure this is we're gonna go to different cemeteries all around northwest arkansas and give you the live update from there that seems real sacrilegious or uh unsanctimonious no i think it's just a bad idea <laughs> it may just be bad podcast potentially uh, this may be the death of the podcast that may be why this is the theme <laughs> uh bad content just ends things like this so um that being said <clears throat> the reason that i wanted to talk about this is because this last weekend i spent a lot of time not thinking about death but considering like the implications of death um I saw my fam like my immediate family all together for the first time since like my grandfather's funeral. Um <clears throat> and I spent some time talking about my dad he has kidney a kidney stone he's trying to pass and the doctors asked him if he had a living will. So like okay cool. He's not old or dying or anything like that but they asked him if he had a living will. Um so there was this like long list of things that came up this weekend. Did the doctor at least say, mm, I don't know, unrelated question. Do you have a living will? I'm just I'm just curious if you have a living will. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just probably common practice for these sorts of situations. Uh, Kidney stones? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it sucks. Okay. So anyway, TMI, I guess, for my family dilemma. Um, <clears throat> not even dilemma, just life situation. Um, but... It got me thinking a lot about like the implications of death and like the legality around death and practices and that sort of thing. And there's like a whole section in Vance Randolph's book about death and burial as it was practiced in the Ozarks. Hmm. Everything from omens we will get into, and we've got some fun stories about that, about like the actual funeral day and how people would act differently than what we may experience now today, which we'll get to maybe there's a lot of content here. Why mirrors are so bad? Because mm. uh, mirrors are awful when it comes as it relates to death and dying. Uh, when to wash your clothes and to not wash your clothes to ensure your family lives through the year. It's a little wild. Okay. Um, as we find that much of this mythology stuff kind of tends to, not mythology. That's a bad word for it. superstition. Superstition. It, is it Ozark superstition? It's Ozark superstition. I guess it is. It's more folklore. Um, superstition has like a weird negative connotation to it. And I think um, we, I've said this before talking about Ozark superstition, but if, if this is like your first one listening to it, think about these as practices of someone reading their uh, astrology for the day it's kind of equates to that. It's like taken seriously by some and kind of like throwaway joke. Haha, it's in the newspaper by some other people. Um, so that's kind of like what I like to equate it to today or even personality tests or something like that. Um, some people swear by them and adhere to them, but other people are like, this is some nonsense. So we're talking about death and burial in the Ozarks. Bring it on. 
Alrighty. We're just going to start with, I'm going to read you what Vance Randolph wrote, um, and we'll get into some of the minutia about it. But this is what Vance Randolph says about um, in his opening comments in this death and burial thing. Um, he says, quote, many trivial happenings in a, in a mountain cabin are regarded as presages of an approaching death, the falling of a window sash at night, or the spontaneous breaking of any household object when no one is touching it is a sure sign of death in the house. When a picture falls from the wall itself, many hill folk believe that the person who picks it up will die within the year. Oh, it is like these small, strange, like... Things that are, I think today we would imagine a lot of what he's going to unfold for us is like haunting related, like, oh, if something falls off the wall or if something breaks or if you hear this creepy sound in the night, we kind of equate that to like the house is haunted sort of thing. And the way they would imagine that is not like there's a spirit here, but there might be one soon. <laughs> um, and it might be you. And it might be so you. So get comfy. Um but it is, these are um, omens of like an oncoming death, uh, which is interesting, and we'll get to some of this. Um, so, uh, we've got a lot um, here. Like I mentioned earlier, mirrors are a big omen. Um, unusual sounds in the night are, um, depending what they are, can be a bad omen. Um, I've got some practices to avoid death. Uh, some stuff you can do to avoid death, uh, animals and omens, trees and omens. Um, and then we've got stuff about like the funeral and, um, practices of burying someone who's died. So, um, it's not going to be as big of a bummer as it sound. I sounds, I promise there's some real strange stuff in here though, which is really interesting. I want to start with these unusual sounds since we already kind of hit on it a little bit. Quote, hill folk are always upset by an unusual clicking or rumbling in a clock. They think that a relative or close friend must be dying at the moment when the sound is heard. So if you hear this unusual chiming of a clock or a ticking of a clock, it's sus- suspected that someone you know ha- has died, which is strange. Clocks play a big part. We're going to come back to okay. clocks later, too. Um, clocks and mirrors, for some reason, are very strange in this cinematic universe of uh, dying Ozark people. Um, any household noise of unexplained origin, if it suggests the tearing of a cloth, is a death sign. Uh, he says an old woman near Fort Smith, Arkansas, told me, Vance Randolph, that as a girl, she heard somebody tearing cloth in the kitchen. There was nobody in the room when she looked to see. But a few days later, the house was full of women tearing up sheets to lay out her sister, who died suddenly and unexpectedly. What? Um, Oh, so that's where the omen thing comes into play, because needing to tear sheets for the dead sister. Yeah, and he mentioned, I don't know why this is, but there's something about burying practices in the day where you would never cut the cloths to wrap somebody up. You would always tear them, hmm. and the physical act of tearing was somehow symbolic to burial. Um, so this sound of someone tearing cloth in her kitchen, um, and then several days, you know, a couple weeks later, there's a bunch of women tearing cloths to bury her sister, is like eerie in a weird way. So it's like kind of like hearing the sound of a shovel being dug into the ground or something like that. Just something that symbolizes sound wise. Uh-huh. 
That's someone's going to die. I mean, it's like the Chekhov's gun in like a haunting movie, like the haunted house movie where you like hear the noise before you see the thing that creates the noise mm-hmm. later on. Um, yeah, it's an omen. But, you know, it's so cheesy in like a haunting movie and fictitious work like a haunted movie, haunted house movie. Um, so it's funny to see some of those same sorts of like predicting sorts of forward shadowing of events things show up. Um, many hill folk claim to hear another sound called the death bones shortly before someone dies. Um, there's a woman who was talking about how she heard the clattering of bones before the death of a family member um, that alerted, like, I mean, like spooky skeletons, like rattling bones, like crack, like, uh, it's just, it's weird. Um, albeit not super weird. It's, I mean, noises happen in houses at night. The house cools, it shifts, it moves and creaks and stuff. Yeah. Cause that could easily be mistook for, yeah. Creaks of wood. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you, so this is, I had this happen today, so... You're going you're gonna to um, die soon. Or I'm going to... Oh, I'm going to die soon. That's me. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe not on this one. If you hear raps, knocks, ticks, or bells with no apparent cause for these noises, it is a sign that death is coming to someone near you. The famous death watch or death tick, a sharp snapping noise sometimes heard in log houses at night, is supposed to mean the death in the building within a few days. Um, Where did you hear this? This was in my apartment. Oh, what? This morning. Okay. Um, and my, that lady that lives beneath you with all the cats. No. Okay. Well, here's what happened. I woke up this morning to get ready for work. And as I was laying in bed, I heard a noise coming from my living room. And it sounded to me like someone was trying to get in the door. And it freaked me out. I knew I'd locked the door. But I, it sounded like someone was trying to get in the door. Um, and so, like, I slowly got up and like moved to the window in the living room of my apartment where I could see to the door and like poked my eye through the, the blinds and no one was standing there, but it sounded like someone was trying to get into my, into my door. And then I looked down and there was a cat playing with the uh, window that I was standing at, just sitting there like pawing at the screen on my window uh, cats are bastards and they are bastards when it comes to like this sort of death ritual stuff too. Cats are bad omens. We'll get to cats. Okay. Okay. C- cats are awful also. Um, does that mean that the lady that lives beneath you with all the cats that she's like the grim reaper cause she's sending her this cats? Is, yeah, to... this is, this is one of her cats. It had a collar on it and oh, everything. Okay. Okay. Um, but it was, it was deeply unsettling and like if cats are unsettling, I mean, I don't like cats. if that same noise had happened, four hours earlier in the middle of the night and I got up and thought someone was trying to break into my house or to my apartment and then was not able to see anything, like even looked out the peephole and everything. It wasn't like deeply unsettling stuff, like haunted, defo haunted. Wait, let's take a second. Sure. Whenever you experience something like that, what is your reaction? What does Zach Panky do? I mean, I don't often have these experiences. I usually I usually react really rationally. Things don't often really freak me out like that. Um but do you have like a bat that you grab? Do you have a it 
do you try to weaponize yourself really fast? Do you just kind of ignore it? What do you do? Uh, here's what I did this morning. Okay. I got up in the buff and walked to the living room, slowly tiptoeing with nothing in my hands. I was vulnerable beyond measure. I was a defenseless monkey at the at the claws of an awaiting tiger is what it was. The cat pawing at the you. Cat, the domesticated cat. Um, and then I thought, you're a domesticated cat. We got you, cat. We have bigger brains is what I thought at okay. the cat. Um, no, usually I have like a really rational response to stuff like that. It doesn't usually freak me out. Um, I notoriously try to freak other people out with that sometimes. Um, but yeah, there was like a animalistic response in me today that was like, defend yourself and be quiet. Mm. Uh, that was triggered in me. But like when you have like people living in the middle of the woods with no one around and there's no electricity or anything like that on the top of a hill somewhere and you hear like the snapping of wood or this like rattling of bones in the middle of the night, like you have to attribute that to something. You have to put that in in a category in your brain, you know, mm -hmm. and in a culture where, yeah, there were ghosts, but I guess like the fiction of ghosts is not the same that we have today. Like, you just categorize it as a, this is a bad omen. Yeah. Because we could hear a creak in the house, we can say, oh, the AC turned on. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, the house is settling. Like, Yeah, it's windy outside. Mm -hmm. Whatever it may be. Yeah, and Ozarkers did have a an idea of wind. They knew what wind was. Yeah. But... <laughs> it's not what I was implying. Sure. But, like, maybe they didn't understand, like, the settling of a house that took place that could create these noises or whatever, or like the freezing of wood that might cause it to snap in like cold weather or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so interesting sounds can be bad, I guess. Um, but it does like, it does like you do feel these responses in your body of like, you respond in fear, like your amygdala turns mm -hmm. on and is like, I'm ready, like with my fight or flight sort of thing. And it hits you at like a, more animal level than like I can logic through this. Yep. So um, to see them ascribe like folklore to these sorts of like rare occasions and happenings that take place in the middle of the night is fascinating and also like a very human thing to do, right? Okay, that's about it for sounds. Uh, we're gonna move on to something else. Um, let's move on to animals. Because we just talked about cats. I'm going to read some stuff. And there's a kind of a funny story in here uh, that I like. Just a couple of omens. Uh, quote, when a dog under the cabin or on the front porch howls four times and then stops, it is said that there will be a death in the house very soon. If a dog rolls over and over in the same direction, it is said that he is measuring the ground for his master's grave. Oh, my God. Very creep. I mean, man's best friend. What a helpful doggo. Just, I mean, just took like a very dark turn. I, <laughs> Roll over. He doesn't want belly rubs a bunch of times. He just wants to measure your body. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Like if he rolls over, it, the implication is like if he rolls over, the dog rolls over more than once in the same direction. Um, I think one roll is probably fine. Two rolls is where you start to get uneasy and three rolls is like, uh, that's about six feet. Um, <laughs> which is maybe not the best. Um, and then of course we get the cat, which I assume this is what was happening this morning. Quote, if a cat licks the door, 
uh, it is a sure sign that somebody in the house will die shortly. So, oh, okay, it's you. Uh, uh, congratulations, everybody. This has been my last recording. That's um, okay. I'm doing an episode by myself next week anyway. <laughs> Um, this is a, this I like, um, quote, if a hen makes any sound suggestive of crowing near the door, it is a sure sign of death. And I've been told of cases in which somebody died within 10 minutes. Hmm. A crowing hen will excite any group of backwoods people. And here's the story. I've seen a man spring up and fire his revolver wildly into a flock of chickens, killing several. Uh, some people do not hesitate to eat a crowing hen, but this man would not allow one to be cooked in his house. Throw it to the hogs, he said, and if they don't eat the damn thing, we'll sell it to the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> so this man hears like these chick, these hens crowing at his door, and his immediate response is like, I know what that means, and he pulls a gun on them to murder the omen that is taking place right in front of him. Not which, in my house. Not in my house. I mean, I it was a defense against like his superstition coming to get him um it's funny that these people also feel like they have power in these situations to remove the omen uh by shooting their chickens but like boom never happened and then what also is really interesting about these omens is like they are not people these backwards people these ozarkers are not really um they are not hesitant to put the bad omen on someone else. So, like, you can't cook the chicken here. Uh, but but if that you guy s- visiting over here. But if you sell it to a tourist, which Vance Randolph was. Uh, <laughs> Vance I wonder Randolph, if you put two and two together there. He was a historian who showed up to record this stuff. Um, he, This guy is like, yeah, not in my house and not near my family, but I will give it to someone I don't know. Or, you know. By the way, I've prepared a meal for you. Here you go. <laughs> I know. Welcome to oh, our house. Oh, that's so kind. Uh, yes. <laughs> Here, Mr. Randolph, have a seat. Oh, chicken. It's my favorite. Uh, yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, kind of adjacent to that um, are trees and plant life. Um, he says, quote, the uh, prejudice against transplanting cedars is known all through the Ozarks and doubtless in many parts of the South. There's like this... There was a long section about moving a cedar tree um, and how if you move your cedar tree, um, by the time it gets tall enough, the person who planted it there will be buried in the ce- the shade of that cedar tree. Um, how long would it take for the cedar tree to get to that height? Because that would maybe make sense. I don't know how fast cedar trees I'm, grow. I'm not an arborist, so I'm not really sure about this. I'm going to sound real dumb. We're going to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about with trees mm-hmm. in like a few weeks. And then we're going to feel like a real dumb dumb on this episode. I mean, and it's fine. I don't, it's just like, okay, that's interesting. They had like workarounds for it. Like if you planted a small flat rock below the cedar tree, you could prevent that from happening. Uh, Vance Randolph actually like hired a guy to move some willow trees for him to block a creek that was invading on his land. Um, and the guy wouldn't do it. He actually went and hired some other boys down the road uh, to do the job for him. And he told Vance Randolph that um, he had the superstition about willow trees for whatever reason that he would not do it. But he said the Henderson boys down the road ain't got, they've got 
ed- education and they don't believe nothing. Um, so he'll have them do it instead. Okay. Once again, like coming back around to this idea of like, not me in my household, but I'll put this bad omen on somebody else. So, and it might be equivalent to like a family curse. Like maybe for this one family, like willow trees have just always been a bad deal, but maybe not for this other family. But there's this weird thing about it where it's like, I'm going to put this on y'all. Like, I'm not going to do it. Y'all can have it. Like, we're going to move those willow trees and I'm going to make a buck off of it. It's just the kids are going to do it. Yeah. And they're going to die or get some sort of disease or just trip and fall one day. Right. That kind of wraps up omens. Let's talk about mirrors for a second. Because there's a really interesting story about uh, what Vance Randolph calls a wraith. Um, Okay. Which I don't think our current imagination of a wraith is the same thing that he would have called a wraith. What do you think he calls a wraith? Well, I'll get to that. I'll tell you what he thinks, what they call it. Um, So about mirrors. Quote, the breaking of a mirror is always a sign of seven years bad luck, but sometimes it means a death in the family. May Stafford Hilburn tells us how the looking glass in her home was smashed and adds that in less than seven years, my father died. So less than seven years in less than seven years, my father died. It was not super immediate. It's pretty wide range. Yeah. You could break a couple of, I mean, how often, when was the last time you broke a mirror, Peyton? It's a reflective surface. Um, I mean, just dropping any sort of glassware. Yeah. I dropped a glass. Yeah. I dropped a glass before I left for this trip this weekend oh, Okay, and broke it in the parking lot. Like, does that mean set like does that mean someone near me is gonna die? It just means you're reckless. It means I'm reckless. I was trying to carry way too many things out of my car <laughs> making room for this trip. The hubris of it all. Oh, I know. Um see what it gets me. See what mm. it gets me. So many omens coming my way. Yeah, watch out. Um okay. Uh I've got some more. This is not the only only omens I have suffered uh from in the last seven days. Uh so I might be seeing y'all on the other side. Okay. Uh, this is the Wraith thing. Um, quote, we got a story here. It's okay. kind of interesting. Quote, to see the Wraith or double of a living person is a death sign. So here's a story to help you maybe imagine that. Quote, one bitterly cold day, writes Mrs. C.P. Mankey. She is a recurring character in this book, and I love her very much because her name's Mrs. C.P. Mankey, and my name is panky and i think we might be related um for some reason one bitterly cold day writes mrs cp Mankey, a father and his son were gathering corn all at once the lad appeared directly in front of the wagon busily husking out the ears the father spoke to him rather amazed at his working ahead of the team like that and the boy replied from the other side of the wagon tossing in corn as he spoke the father wondered but said nothing again a moment later the boy was in front the father stopped work and turned, and there he was, busy at his rows, the other side of the wagon. He's both in front of the wagon and beside the wagon. Yeah. You can imagine this. Bewildered, puzzled, the father resumed his work, and suddenly the boy was at his side, snatching at the corn. But there he was, across the wagon, in his place. In a sudden fright and unexplained agony of apprehension, the father made an excuse to stop work and go to the house. As he said, it was getting colder. The boy never helped him again. In just a few days, he was dead of pneumonia. The boy died? The boy died. Interesting. It's almost like this out-of-body 
experience like your soul is leaving your body, but like slowly. I mean, have you ever like read Glitch in the Matrix stories? Yeah, but uh, I I mean, I'm not even like supposing them to be true, but like so many of those are like I saw the same person twice or they talk about seeing angels that get off a bus and then show up again at the next stop um, on the bus. You know, there are these strange stories of like seeing doubles of people that still exist in like our imagination of like spiritual or supernatural interactions um, that are not like we have not gotten away from this. Um, And for some reason, it seems to be like a recurring theme. And some people call them angels and some people call them wraiths and some people call them uh, glitches in the matrix. But the difference is there is that you have a duplicate of somebody specifically. It's not just like, oh, there was an angel that was around that didn't look like anybody else. So that wraith thing is a duplicate of somebody else, which which makes me feel like it's their soul leaving their body. That is that is like the vibe that I'm getting from this. Sure, but can you like, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine the experience of like seeing someone like go to their room and then like turning back around to go down the hallway and then see them again in the kitchen? Like, Oh, yeah, dinner? terrifying. Deeply unsettling, like very strange experience. And just think about this dad on this wagon, like looking at his kid and then turning back and looking at his kid again right next to him and back at the kid in front of him and back to the kid to his side, like in full daylight in the middle of the day working. Chilling. Mm -hmm. Chilling. But also like really fascinating, the fact that we haven't lost this in fiction or in like our understanding of like the supernatural intersecting our world. Remind me, did the supposed duplicate of the kid respond no, he saw his kid and like spoke to the kid and the kid responded from like his side mm. talking back to his dad. Okay. The the double, the duplicate, supposed duplicate did not respond. See, the other thing that Vance Randolph leaves out is like which kid was the real kid. Mm. So maybe it was the duplicate that was responding to him. Yeah, because his kid just didn't want to talk to him that day. He was really mad at his dad yeah. for making him go out and work. I mean, he was busy at work. He was in front of the team working hard, getting stuff done so anyway once again mirrors mirrors bad thing Mm -hmm. um uh they also say like there was a um point made in here where if a young girl saw a reflection of a coffin shaped thing like while looking at in water like looking at the reflection water and see something that's vaguely coffin shaped it's like an omen of death um which is strange Um, and then I pulled another piece from like burial preparations, um, talking about mirrors and it says, so it's just in the middle of this. It says, quote, the next thing to be done is to cover every mirror in the house with white cloths, which are not Mm. to be removed until after the funeral. This is done out of consideration for those who may come in to view the body for if one of them should glimpse his own reflection in the house of death, it is believed that he will never live to see another summer. Oh man, I'm getting chills. Like you could weird. run with this for so many different scary movie concepts. Like you could, man. I mean, there are points in this where it's like if you see the reflection of someone who's died in a mirror, like that's a bad omen for you. Like mirrors are like strangely important for this sort of thing. And like once again, we come back to like haunted house fiction. Mirrors are also like a huge like trope in horror movies. Sometimes for the cheap jump scare. But also like this, 
Well, it's almost conceptually, because you don't know what's really happening with the mirror, maybe if you're an Ozarker who's not as educated, that you don't understand that it's a reflection and that light rays are going from your face into the mirror and Mm -hmm. you're seeing yourself, but in, in the mirror. Right. You don't see that. You just see, wow, it's just an image of me without any science behind it. So it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a portal to another dimension. You could it, interpret it as such. Exactly. It's the... It is the Alternate qu- reality. Alternate universe. Maybe the spiritual world. Right. It's Whatever. The, it's the closest thing you can imagine to like an other side, mm-hmm. you know, like... Which is really fascinating to think about that... Um, that so much of this like fiction has is prevalent in so many cultures, you know, who are distanced by time and geographical distance. We'll see some of some more of that in a second, maybe. Um, but how these like recurring themes show up, like the scariest things to us are just like scary on like an like an animal level, right? Um, like mirrors are freaky for some reason because we're not supposed to ever be able to see ourselves. Um, or there's something... Or they about, distort. Or they distort, way. right. Um, anyway, mirrors, strange. I'm looking at two in your house and I'm expecting one to fall in three, two, please don't. Oh no, ghost. I just cracked a can into the microphone. For that unpleasant sound that you just heard, all of our listeners. That Zach's not going to edit out. Yeah, probably not. I have too many mirrors in my house now I'm realizing this. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's efficient for like expanding the space, but also like a portal to the demon realm. So I just want to make sure I look good in the morning and I, I just want multiple angles. I understand. Is that I, not okay? I do understand that, but you're inviting the devil into your home. <laughs> um, all right. Let's crack through some more of this stuff. Um, okay. So let's... We've talked about of like a lot of things that are out of your power. Of yes, of course, you might pull a pistol on a chicken at your door, um, but some of these things are things you can avoid if you just know the right uh, procedure. Um, if you follow the right protocol, you can avoid some some death in your family or friends. Um, quote: The woman who washes clothes on January first is likely to bring about death of a relative, according to a very common belief. Quote. Wash on New Year's and you'll wash away your kin, folks," said an old woman near near Carthage, Missouri. That one's dumb. I don't <laughs> like that one. <laughs> I love the phrase uh, "wash on New Year's and you'll wash away your kin, folks." It's like pretty funny. Such a contrived phrase. <laughs> of course, it whatever. Is. It's just I like, mean, you can insert anything into that. Absolutely. Right? Um, but what if it's laundry day on? It's January 1st. You're going to rewear that underwear, I swear. Yeah. Well, if you don't. Um, And this one's interesting to me because I was just in Mina. Um, Quote, a girl near Mina, Arkansas, once showed me that the coffee grounds in her cup formed a straight line. She said this meant there would be a funeral in the house before many months had passed. Um, I drank some coffee outside of Mina, Arkansas, over the weekend in a cabin on top of a hill in the middle of the Washita Mountains, surrounded by National Forest Park Service, or National Forest. Um, unfortunately, I did not check for a line of ground coffee in my cup, and if I had checked, I think I was in my own house, so there's that. <laughs> um, but like... It had to be a line 
trying to think of what's indicative of a line. Is it just... See, I think like... Wow, what a cool, what a odd thing to happen that there would be a straight line in my coffee ground. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, avoid drinking coffee in such a way that it forms a straight line. I don't know if this is like the rim of the mug, but that doesn't really make sense either. Um, you just got to chug it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I chug it real fast. And <laughs> drink then the grounds. You drink the grounds right down. Drink the grounds straight down, and maybe they'll align in your intestines or something. Um, quote, to sweep a floor after dark or allow a lamp to burn until the last drop of oil is consumed. These things are taboo, and many people believe they are likely to bring death into the family circle. I'm bringing a lot of death into the circle. I vacuum and sweep a lot after... The sun goes down. You also have to imagine like most of these people did not have electricity. And what I you start to see in some of these is maybe it's just like a practice to teach children. Like don't burn the oil if it's unnecessary. Do your chores during the daylight. Or Slash you can't see what you're sweeping up during the day. So don't sweep at night. That's stupid. We don't yeah. have electricity for that. Or, hey kids, don't let the oil burn all the way down and out. Like refill it before it gets to that point. Like those seem like pretty reasonable things and it's just like a scare tactic to get them to do their chores Mm -hmm. um so as is this one which is maybe one of my favorite uh lines in this whole section of this book quote the ozark children are told that if they defecate in a path or public road their sisters will die (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that kids are gonna Take a dump in the middle of the road anyway, just to spite their sister. I mean... It's I, like this t-shirt that says, I would trade my si- my sister for a video game. Do you know? I would defecate in the road to get rid of my sister. <laughs> but Same like, concept. I mean, but if you're going to be a little butthole and poop where people are walking, like, it's the same thing where you let your dog poop on the sidewalk. Like, that is just poor dog ownership. So, don't be... on the dog's sister. I mean... <laughs> But, like, if a kid poops in the walkway, like, if you're walking a trail and there's, like, kid poop on the ground where you're walking, like, I wish ill will towards that child that did that. Um, You know, and maybe it's because, like, in the most superstitious end of the spectrum, it's like, maybe a witch will come across it and curse the kid who did this. But most likely, (laughs) most likely it's parents teaching their kids not how to be buttholes and how to be good citizens, right? Yes. Um, And this is a scare tactic to reinforce, like a fear tactic to reinforce like good behavior, which I think is maybe what was going on in the last one. For women on their periods. For a menstruating woman to take a bath is almost equivalent to suicide, according to the granny women. The granny women. Thank you, granny women. That's... Very, very strong of you. Um, it is regarded as dangerous for anybody to bathe just before starting a, on a journey. The traveler who does so has good reason to fear death by drowning. Peyton, you leave for a trip tomorrow. I will not bathe. <laughs> Ever. You're, you're going on a trip. You're going... Uh, Kansas City's pretty landlocked. Portland is I'll not... i figure it out. Portland is not so landlocked. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to be near the... Well, okay, I guess there's like a little stream of some kind that goes through Portland. I don't know. It's risky. It's a lot I'm of risk. I'm just saying, like, maybe, maybe... Maybe lay off the shower. Maybe lay off the shower before you leave. Uh, just just going to put that out there. One way to avoid drowning. <laughs> don't bathe. Maybe... I don't know. I have no idea. 
Can I do like a gas station bathing kind of thing where it's like I just have wet hand wipes? Sanit- <laughs> wet wipes. <laughs> I hand think- sanitizer all over my body. That sounds painful. <laughs> That's terrible. I think wet wipes are fine. I don't think they accounted for wet wipes here in the cursing of bathing travelers the power of modern science yes wet wipes <laughs> getting around it um and then you mentioned like hearing the a, sh- a shovel digging a grave earlier mm-hmm. um quote if a hillman steps over a spade lying on the ground he is seriously disturbed by the belief that it will shortly be used to dig his grave so don't step over shovels and if it's a really small spade, just really sucks for whoever has to dig your grave. It's going to uh, take a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like in holes, when they always just get... <laughs> smaller shovel, smaller hole. <laughs> I love the people who got that reference. Um, additionally, the man who inadvertently kicks a rifle on the ground will die of a gunshot wound, according to the old timers. Well, no, I'll take it. No, that duh. makes sense. It is gun safety 101. <laughs> Um, and then uh, to step over a person lying on the floor is very bad luck, and if done intentionally, is almost akin to homicide. <laughs> now we're really getting in the deep end of this stuff. I'm thinking of... Um, All the sleepovers that you've had? <laughs> no, I'm thinking of uh, Jared, who's been on the podcast, his kids, who run... We are watching a movie and kept running over Zach and tripping over Zach every time and Jeez. saying, It's not funny! He was yeah. three at the time. Yeah, and they even said in this, like, if you, like, snap your fingers or something and walk back over the person, it, like, undoes the homicide. But oh. some other people think, like, that is just doubly as bad because you did it a second time. Um, but once again, I think these are just, like, practical things to do. Like, we've all seen Tom and Jerry. You don't step over a shovel because if you step on a shovel, you get hit in the face or something. Um Gun safety 101, do not kick over a rifle. <laughs> like, that is just gun safety 101, people. Don't, just don't, don't do it. Don't knock over a gun. Important. Um, or don't have your gun facet- fashioned in such a way that it might easily fall to the ground. Just, just put it on the ground. Just going to put that out there. Just put it on the ground. Um, put it in a corner. And don't step gonna... over your friends. That's just not nice. Just don't, they're laying down. Don't step over them. They might kick you. Or something. Anyway, just like courteous practices and self-preservation practices like not knocking over guns. So important. Okay. Those are some ways you can avoid death. But let's say, let's say you've somehow not been able to outrun the sweet death grip. Dagnabbit. I thought I was doing so good. You were doing so good till that cat knocked on your door and licked the post and a chicken showed up. Um, oh, I've got one more before we do that. This is another mirror one, just hopping back real quick. If a child less than a year old is permitted to see its reflection, it will either be cross-eyed or will die before its second birthday. That's so different. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really a coin toss. <laughs> either or. <laughs> I love the cross-eyed one. It's really hilarious. Um... <laughs> There's like a whole section on baby death in this thing, which we I really don't want to get into. There's just like this one paragraph that is so lovely. Uh, and it's about, about baby mirrors. death. Yeah. Thank you. If a babe's fingernails are cut with a metal blade, it will die within the year or become a thief later in life. 
<laughs> what? Maybe it's like this. Hey, don't cut your baby's fingernails with a knife because that's infectious. Or Where has that knife been? Peyton, fingernail clippers are metal. That counts. No, but like for a baby, like maybe, I don't know. Okay, so what is your- Hold pro- on, did fingernail clippers exist? No, no, okay, sure. No, they didn't. They probably used sheep shears or something. I don't know. How would you cut a baby's fingernails if you did not have access to- Why do you got to need to cut the baby's fingernails? I mean, cleanliness? I don't know. Uh, I would pull the Ron Swanson apo- approach and sand them down. Okay, uh-huh. good option. No metal there. Um, this is the suggestion from Vance Randall. Okay. Most backwoods mothers uh, take no chances with this dilemma, being cutting them with a metal blade. Gotta cut their hands right off. They bite the child's fingernails off, Peyton. They bite the child's fingernails off. Don't some parents still do that, though? I mean, there's a bunch of granola moms that I imagine Ah. probably do that. Um, I'm not saying I would if that was my kid, but I, I think it's more common than we think. I'm not. Mark. Yeah, fair. And then, I'm not, then we're going to interview somebody in a podcast who's like knows their stuff about chewing fingernails off of babies. Sure. And I'm not judging any parents if that's what you do. I've just never been a parent, and that doesn't seem very obvious to me as a solution. But for, babies' hands are so small, it's not like you're even working that hard. You just like clip. That's the sound that your teeth make whenever you bite baby fingernails. I guess. But also, like, fingernails are disgusting. And I think, I mean, just normal fingernails are disgusting. But I guess baby fingernails are probably generally clean relative to the rest of the population. It's right? hand in their mouths a lot. Yeah, but, like, you've touched their spit. You've touched their everything. Like, yeah, all their body fluids have been on you at some point. Like, fingernails are probably not that uh horrendous also not fluid but sure sure but like anything they could have touched on their body that might be disgusting you've probably had like on your face at some point as a parent those are just the stories i hear i've never been a parent anyway (laughs) yeah we're two people who don't have children (laughs) sitting around being like oh yeah i wouldn't bite the fingernails off my baby Uh uh-huh yeah so now that we got that out of the way the cross-eyed baby the thief of a baby (laughs) baby thief um, I do understand that baby thief one because then you, I guess your fingernails don't make noise. Peyton, you understand baby thief? <laughs> How clipping someone's fingernails could make them into a thief? But it's like, they, they become quieter. They become more stealthy. Their fingernails don't hit things. That's, so wow, that's super fair. Sneaky things. baby. Sneaky baby. Sneaky baby stealing all the Sorry, cookies. go on to your next superstition that's okay. not about a baby. Yeah, uh, moving on from that thing. I only put one category or one paragraph in here about that because I don't have any experience with babies. I don't know how to keep those things alive. Um, anyway, so let's say you've not been able to uh, avoid the sweet grasp of death, the beckoning call. Let's talk about when people die. The okay. protocol around dying. Um, so it's me. I haven't made it. I looked at all my mirrors in my house. I dropped my guns. Sure. All over the ground. Yeah. Just I'm a, dead. Sure. Uh, well, you're not dead yet. Oh, okay. I'm about to die. Um, it's, uh, it is said that the last person upon whom the dying man's gaze rests will be the first among those present to follow him to the grave. Okay. So, so if, if I dying, died like tonight, then don't sorry. look at me. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> We've been looking at each other this whole time. Jeez. Man. Rough. Yeah, it sucks. All right. You want to invite my neighbors over? 
I also don't want to put, here's the thing. All of these Ozarkers like put other people at risk oh, rather yeah. than like suffering their own fate for just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I feel like if it's time, my time to go, I will have been so glad to be, this is the last thing that I've done. In this world, you either kill or get killed. <laughs> what you gonna do? Because Peyton looked what at you, you and do? took a bath afterwards. Um, Quote, those attending to a dying man, particularly if he is thrashing about or struggling, are very careful careful to keep their fingers away from his mouth, since the bite of a dying person is said to be a deadly poison? Question mark? For me, Zach? Excuse me? That sounds scary. There, there's well, just only... somebody biting your fingers just sounds scary in general. So yeah, but I like, where does that superstition come from? Is it like, oh, he had rabies, and that's like what that caused? Must be. See, that's gotta be. That's it. the only thing that I can think of that makes sense yeah. in that occasion. But like to assume that the bite of a dying person is poisonous—that's so strange to me. That is a because the only situation where and to somebody be fair, would be to be fair thrashing it's... and almost about to die is rabies. Yeah. I feel like that's the only situation. Yeah. yeah. Super fair. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. All right. Rabies. Avoid rabies at all costs, y'all. <laughs> Boom. Um, Next. There's a common belief that dying persons are particularly apt to take off just as the clock strikes the hour. Uh, some say that more people die at 4 a.m. than any other time. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to look this up really quick because I... Um, I thought it was 3 a.m. That was very superstitious. Maybe it's 3 a.m. in um, different time zones. Like on in mountain time, it's 3 a.m. But in the Ozarks, it's 4 a.m. Okay, so this is from Cora.com. Not a super uh, helpful or reputable website. Um <clears throat> It's better than Jeeves. The general population of people tend to, on average, to be more most likely to die in the morning hours. Sometime around 11 a.m. is the average time. Hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Um, the Atlantic posted an article that says you're most likely to die at 11 a.m. Um, and then, yeah, a movie called Most Likely to Die on IMDb, four out of ten stars. Um <laughs> So uh, so maybe go watch it. That is a Google search result for what I typed in. Um, so they may not be, but that is like true. The like 4 a.m. is kind of a witching hour. Like um, I always say nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Like dying. Sure. That counts. Yeah. But nothing also like good. I think 4 a.m. is like a nice serene time too. Like depending on where you are in the country and like at what time of year. The sun will almost be ready to rise at that point. And like... 4 a.m. Well, like 5.15 is like a reasonable sunrise time in some regions at some times of year. Am I making that up completely? Kind of. Have you gotten up when the sun rises around here? No. No, that's what I figured. Like, I get up at like 6.15 like every day. Sure. And that's around when the sun starts to come up. Sure. Anyway, I think 4 a.m. is a nice serene time to go. Mm-mm. You don't Hard think pass. so? No. Um, it could just be me and my personality, but I don't know if it's still today. I don't know if it's tomorrow. Am I screwing up the next day by staying up so late that I just don't know where I am Sure. in time and okay, space? Okay, but imagine it's not you, a night of heavy drinking and partying from Peyton, but imagine it's you're... not the your, situation the, I was talking about. The, just generally staying up that late <laughs> is terrifying to me. But like 
deathbed? Like, is 4 a.m. when you want to go? No, I want to be sleeping at 4 a.m. and then I get up at 6 and then I go back to die at 7. <laughs> Sounds better. You don't want to die in your sleep at 4 a.m.? Uh, well, okay, if it's if I'm just like in the middle of the night, the way we positioned that question, it seemed like we were talking about if I was just awake at 4 a.m. and yeah. was like, hey, it's time to die. Sorry. Yeah. I is now good? I would like to be asleep, so maybe. Okay, gotcha. Now that we're done maybe. talking about preferences for death times. Or maybe I'm trying to catch an airplane flight in the morning, and so I'm up early, early, and then I just die. Which is maybe what tomorrow's going to entail. Kind of. <laughs> no, that's Wednesday, because I do have to be at the airport at like 4.30. Um, okay, moving on. This is very traumatic So let's say let's say you've gone. It's 11 a.m. or 7 a.m. or whatever time you... See, I've died at 4 a.m. Whatever time you prefer, Peyton. When a death finally does occur, one of the bereaved neighbors rises immediately from the bedside and stops the clock. They've had him on a timer this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Stopwatch. Go. Uh, and it's like a race to the finish, I guess. Um, no, they go and stop the clock. Like the clock that's in the room, because if it's like left to run, it is also another bad omen. Like if you let it's it, going to happen. Let it continue to run. Here I'll um, read for you um, what Vance Randolph says. Everybody knows that if the clock should happen to stop of itself while a corpse is lying in the house, another member of the family would die within a year, and it is considered best to take no chances. Um, it says several families near Southwest City, Missouri, are somehow persuaded that the old custom of stopping the clock is derived from the Indians. Uh, when I pointed out that the old-time Indians had no clocks and that some local Indians still have no clocks even today, these people said no more. <laughs> Which is pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, thanks, Vance Randolph. Would you like some chicken? <laughs> I just killed it. I mean, yeah, it's like, <laughs> thanks for stepping on our beef. Like, that's our, we have very few customs, and that's one of the things, and you just ruined it for us. Oh, my God. Yeah, I guess if the stop clock stops by itself, then someone else is going to die. There's just, like, a lot of stipulations for people. To, not a lot of stipulations. It's very easy to uh, get the Grim Reaper to come back, is what it seems like. But, man, you could... I'm still gonna. I'm so hung up on this. You could make all of these ominous things into one movie, and it would scare the living piss out of everybody. Sure, sure, but it also feels like it would be so broad in terms of like, oh, you're gonna die. Here's a chicken. Oh, you're gonna die. Here's a cat. Oh, you're gonna die. You planted that tree yesterday. Oh, you're. Oh, gonna you're die. gonna die. Uh, your brother pooped in the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sucks for the sisters, I guess. Right. It's just like you might be overwhelming an audience with the number of omens that might pop up in a movie like this. You pick uh, some to make more prominent. You put the rest of them in the background to see if the audience picks up on it. It's fine. Yeah. So You're clearly not a director, Zach. I am a director. I don't have the vision that mm. you have. I'm not a you visionary. Um, so we talked about how different cultures still, as we have said, like so many of these themes and tropes have showed up in many cultures and how we still hold on to many of these things today. Um, quote, a county nurse in Arkansas recalled that when an old man she was attending to died, she put little pieces of paper under his eyelids so that the eyes would remain closed. I don't know if you've ever heard of that practice. I hadn't. Under the eyelids? Under the eyelids. What you may have heard 
of, though, is this. But the family objected, saying, We may be on relief, but we still got our corpse money. They brought out two old silver silver dollars and laid them on the dead man's Mm. eyes. It appears that some families keep these same coins set aside for this purpose only for several generations. So, like, the idea of, like, placing two coins on the eyes of um, someone who's deceased to keep their eyes closed, I mean, in, like, Greco-Roman time, it functioned that purpose, but it was also considered, like, payment for carriage across the River Styx. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, to see it pop up again here is like, oh, we just have a weighted thing to keep on their eyes, but it's, like, this sacred thing that we hold on to for generations and generations is really interesting that you have like a couple like thousands of years between these two cultures and they have the same practices concerning death of mm-hmm. all things and also something that so seems so really niche you know well and it's it's interesting because ozark culture is more stripped back and less educated as a whole so it's almost like you're going back to the purely spiritual slash gods and the whole like greek and roman universe Mm -hmm. that they were in because i mean if you go to greco-roman times then these superstitions are nothing like it's sure everything is because of the gods or because of what they did or what individuals did to upset or please the gods and so this I don't know. It's kind of relatable in the sense of it's it's due to a lack of, I guess, science. Right. Or just a lack of things to keep an eye closed. Like, because sure. it's very practical. It's pragmatic and then it takes on some sort of like supernatural significance to people or peoples, you know. Well, but I mean like the superstition attached to it. That's what I'm talking about. Right. For sure. So, um, evidently, these these coins were so important. Quote, In one backwoods county, a serious quarrel arose, which finally ended in violence and arrest of several individuals. Peace officers said the whole thing began over the refusal of one family to lend their corpse money when a death occurred in their neighbor's home. Hmm. Like, this stuff was serious. Like, to these people, like, it was important. and um, Like, it was a sacrament of death which is interesting. And then this is the last thing about when someone dies. Um, Whatever happens, the body must never be left alone for a single instant for fear some animal should get at it. If a cat, for example, should so much as sniff at the corpse, some unspeakable calamity would overtake the whole family. Cats, those bastards. Mm. Um, Once again, cats, awful. Um, They also said, this is really interesting, Maybe it's really interesting. They said that young couples would usually attend to the bodies like in pairs, um, maybe to entertain each other, but also to keep the cats away. Um, And it said like multiple couples of people would stay there. And sometimes like you would just find a couple making out in a dark corner while other people were watching the body. And that was kind of like their alone time, but it was also in a room with a body, which is oh my gosh, super upsetting. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. It does yeah. not make me want to make out. Uh, well, maybe for a teen who never gets away from the farm and finally gets to be with their sweetheart. Uh, for is that not Nomen? Does that not cause anything to happen? No, I think you're... Making out with your significant other in a room with a dead body? No. Pe- peachy keen. That's all <laughs> F that'll That's fly. Okay. Um 
Where's anyway. mom's life lesson to keep the kids from making out near dead bodies? <sighs> There's not one. There's not one. Not no one for pooping in the streets. You don't have one for making out in the... Okay. It's upset. Okay. It's bad. It's upsetting. It's whatever. All right. We're going to talk about the funeral practices now because I have one more story about my weekend that I did a bad, another bad here. Um, so, and I've heard this first one before. Tell me if you have. Quote, one must be careful at funerals to avoid counting the vehicles since an early death is invariably the portion of the thoughtless individual who does so. Some say that the counter will die in as many weeks as there are buggies or cars to be counted. To cross a funeral procession or to collide with a hearse is regarded as almost equivalent to suicide. Okay, so number one, have you heard about counting the cars at a funeral before? Not really. Okay. I don't know where I've heard it. I feel like I have heard that, though. Like, you should never count the cars at a funeral. And it's probably something that I picked up super randomly sometime. Um, but, yeah, some of this stuff seems to still exist today. The other thing is, um, so what happened this weekend is I was driving um, to Memphis from the Washita Mountains. We came across a hearse on the interstate. Um, and they were driving in the middle lane of a three-lane highway. Um, and towards the back of it, it, it's not evident that it's like a hearse procession um, or a funeral procession. So we like crossed traffic to get over to the left lane and then passed it down the road, past the whole procession as we went, but down the road. Um, and it, And I understand like from a respect standpoint in like our modern context, like why that isn't cool. Um, but also for them to like assign like this deep and maybe it's not disrespect for them. Maybe it is totally superstition or folklore, but to disrespect the death of someone in that way puts you in like a precarious situation so much so that they equate it to like a suicidal act. That's so strange to me. Yeah. Um, anyway, I wish I had known this, all of this before this weekend, cause I would be, cause you the, really invited death this weekend. I, I did Peyton. I'm giving you the opportunity before you take your trip to do, not do any of this stuff that I'm bringing up. Okay. Um, just so you know, quote, many of the old timers think that all burials should take place before noon. If a body is buried after 12 o'clock, another member of the family is likely to die soon. Oh my gosh. But this is, <laughs> I know, but this, <laughs> this is no stop, but this is no longer insisted upon except among some very old fashioned families. However, I don't remember the last funeral I attended that took place after lunch. Yeah. Moreover, they say at some point you should never let a body sit past Sunday. And I don't remember the last funeral that I went to that was like, not that weekend. Yeah. But part of that for me is I feel like you just want to expediency. Yeah. It's and maybe it's just like pragmatically in a modern culture, like all of those things make sense. Like you're able to do that. That's an easier thing. Not having the funeral within the week is something that you can pull off. Right. I feel like in Ozark culture it's this maybe it's more of an ordeal. Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. I and once again, is it is it superstition? Is it pragmatism that turned into superstition over time? And the fact that it still persists today 
in maybe like the tiniest, like sort of, we still only have tiny nuggets of it, um, is really interesting to me thinking about Mm -hmm. the way we interact with like funerals in a contemporary context. Um, how much of those practices have not changed either maybe thoughtfully or maybe unthoughtfully. And that's just how we've always done it. So we continue to do the same thing. Right. And it's not really something you can play with very much because you can play with, you know, marriage ceremonies, you know, cause it's, it's a jovial time. It's meant to be a celebration. It's an expression of yourself, but with funerals, it's this, like everybody dies and it's, that's just what you do. You do one thing and, because if you mess that up, then you're ruining somebody's experience very heavily or you're disrespecting or whatever it may be. You only get one shot at it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, there's one more thing here that I don't know if you've heard this either. I hear it a lot when celebrities die. Um, so tell me if you've ever heard this before. Many Hill folk believe that deaths always come in threes and it may be that two more members of the group will be called home within a few weeks anyhow. Have you ever heard this theory of I've like... I've heard it recently. Uh-huh. I think it's really stupid, and I don't like it when people say it. Sure. It's just not a classy thing. Especially, I've heard it in the context of like celebrity suicides. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, that's... I don't, I don't like that. But when you think about like lay people, normal people that you would run into, like deaths coming in threes... I think about like married people who have been married their whole lives and one spouse dies and you hear about the other spouse dying like sure. within a year after the first spouse dying, you know, um, you know, or maybe it's like all these people are of a certain age when death just kind of mm-hmm. comes into the scene. So I just think that's interesting that I read this in this book that was written in 1940s. Right. Mm-hmm. And that we still once again hear about it today, which once again may just be like a, phrase that people toss around because people someone noticed it once and now it's become a meme of the culture let's talk about some stuff that is not similar to how we do funerals today and then we're going to wrap um and we can talk for a second at the very end about what i think is like a useful conversation to get to after all talking about all this death um some hill folk have become quite noisy at funerals. I've seen the immediate relatives of the deceased fling themselves on the corpse with loud yells, rolling, groaning, and kicking on the floor, and even try to leap after the coffin when it is lowered into the grave. I think there, when you think about like <clears throat> African-American funerals, this is much more the expression of the funeral that you would see in that space than what you would see like in like a white people funeral. When, wait, so is there an omen associated with that or is that just like practice? This is just how people were at funerals. Yeah, it's not, none of this, at this point, none of these are omens or anything. Okay. Um, It's just like how people interacted at a funeral. Um, And that could be, I mean, that specific comment could be like a class thing, like a racial slash class thing. It's like, we don't do this. Absolutely. Because, yeah, because we are white people who don't do that. Right, it is uh it is disrespectful to be loud or of the dead or something like that, you sure. know. Um cuz like there is like this weird sense at a funeral or memorial service that you are quiet, like that you are like even at a memorial service like 
the room is at a whisper mm-hmm. until like someone tells a funny story about this person and then you hear an eruptor of laughter, but then it resumes back to like a whisper, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but you just don't, I think in my experience of funerals in my life, I've never seen that sort of expression of mourning at a funeral. Being loud? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's even even amongst the family, it's like quiet, quiet, subdued, crying, unless it's like the spouse of the person who like erupts in tears, but like to themselves and not throwing themselves in the coffin or anything either, right? Well, it's interesting because it's it's highly individualistic. Everyone is sitting there processing it by themselves. Sure. No one is addressing anybody else. Everyone's going through thought process in their own head or or it's individual in the sense that you're giving one person the space to do so. Mm. It's just mm-hmm. the one person who matters the most or the group that matters the most rather than everyone collectively figuring out how to feel right we'll get to this in one second i just want to read my last quote which is about respect and i think it's this is something we've lost in funerals of today um so one thing they mention that vance randolph mentions in this in talking about beth death and burials is that no one would leave the graveside until the last load of dirt was loaded on the coffin Um, and maybe there's like bad omen stuff in that, but this idea of like, you stay together until this person is fully laid into the ground and you don't just up and leave, you know, as we do today, it's so much, I mean, funerals are like this event that takes place and then everybody kind of disperses and lets like the grave diggers kind of take care of, you know, throwing the dirt back on with the backhoe, which, you know, maybe be a little more unsettling than shoveling dirt onto a casket. Um, but there is like this idea of like we are all together and having this morning moment and then we see it through to the end together. We don't leave before we put our family member in the ground. Um, that I think is really interesting that we've lost in terms of today's funerals. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I really don't have thoughts regarding that, but like the respect for family that they had in this culture mm-hmm. or respect of comrades who have like died and are now buried um in that regard was really really interesting to me because what i wanted to get to at the end of this were one of two things respect was one of those things um which we can talk about maybe for a second but the other thing is like the loss of the ability to mourn in a contemporary culture um because even when we lose people it is so, you know, amongst our demographic, it is so dissuaded by the culture or by people that you don't make an expression of mourning in the moment. That it's a quiet expression in the moment of mourning. Like you said, it is an individual action, not a communal action of like loss and grief. And I think that's an, a really interesting distinction that I feel like we have lost in this culture that I would like to see more of and would appreciate more of. But do you feel like the Ozark version of it is better? Because I feel like, I mean, we were just talking about it. It feels the same. 
a little bit. Um, do I think it's better? I don't know. I truly don't know because I don't know where the, they would fall on a spectrum of like completely reserved to like totally unhinged. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we fall far too hard on the side of intellectualizing death. Oh, 100%. In a way that's really strange. And, or just internalizing it. Or internalizing it and not feeling emotions as they come. And I get like, in a, like, died on Thursday, buried on Saturday is like a fast turnaround for someone to feel mm-hmm. the loss of another person. But at the same time, it's like there's also a this weird culture around funerals that is like you don't feel like you're not allowed to express like intense pain or sadness here. Well, and it's interesting. I was just talking to a friend about this recently. Um, That kind of fast turnaround. And especially if um, the person passed um, or if, if the person passed or if maybe the funeral was not where home is, Mm -hmm. then it almost feels like it never happened. It's this very tied up packaged experience that's like, wow, that was a weird three days. Yeah. That Thursday through Saturday was odd. Yeah. I buried somebody I loved, but then I go back to my normal life, which maybe just is not where the funeral was or where the person was. And you go back to your life and it just feels like a funny memory. Right. And so again, not dealing with it. It, there's no, there's not much processing. You process it by yourself or unless, or maybe you're the family and you do process it in the context of other people, but still it's this weird, everyone's dealing with things on their own and it's hard to reconcile emotions with one another. People grieve differently. So yeah, I don't like the way funerals are, especially this is not related to what you just said, but I've been thinking about whether it be weddings or funerals or significant experiences overall is just how we remember people. Mm-hmm. So like I know you, Zach, I've known you for the past two years. If you were to die like today, I would, and I had to plan your funeral. I would plan it as I knew you for the past two years. Sure. Your family would want to plan it differently. Your family has known you your entire life. Maybe there's their favorite Zach was, I was almost about to say like 13-year-old Zach, but that's probably a stupid I mean, time. yeah. But like maybe teenage years, Zach was their favorite Zach to experience. Right. And we all have that with one another because we all change like over time. We're not just these stagnant people that are just the same all over time. Um, and I, I bring this up. Um, what brought this up in my brain was because um, my friend for like her family's funeral, they were talking about music what music they wanted to play. Like what would he want played at the funeral and what they ended on was country, but country was the genre he liked most recently. Mm. It wasn't like really what he really enjoyed long term. Right. Um, but they end up going with country and they're like, this doesn't feel like him. Why did like, we shouldn't have chose this. Right. So it's, it's this weird, like funerals are kind of this, time capsule of how you remember a person but everyone is different and the person has evolved over time mm-hmm. and their highlights and lowlights of the person throughout their life but what do you celebrate or what do you remember yeah it's weird 
Yeah, it's a very strange um, ceremony trying to summarize a holistic person with three songs, a 10-minute homily, a poem, and someone standing up from the family and talking, right? It is a weird 50-minute experience that can or cannot do justice for, you know... Yeah, and it it doesn't. I mean, I'm sure if even like the amount of time I've known you, like what if what if I picked some memories and then I left out some and I'm like, oh no, like I should have planned the funeral with these other memories in mind and I just didn't remember them at the time because these were just the ones at the top of mind or yeah. whatever, which is why grieving is a process. Sure. You know, because you can only, rem- you know, encounter so much of an experience that you've had with a person. Mm-hmm in an abbreviated time period. Right. You can only draw so much of that to the forefront at a, at a time. And even thinking about our own lives, I mean, we over time go through phases where we're really nostalgic about some particular things Mm -hmm. versus others, or we're really caught up in what's happening now, whatever it may be. Right. It's interesting. Time is, we're all changing and there's a lot of stuff that happens. We can't handle it all at once. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, I thought that was some good. To- that was good, good commentary. No, that was, you know, it was awesome. That was perfect timing because I've been thinking about this a lot for the past month or two months. So yeah. there yeah. we are. Uh, yeah. So that kind of brings us to the end of what I had prepared and together for Ozark superstitions. There's a lot more. We didn't even get into like feather halos, which is like a whole nother weird thing, which may be like a micro one later on, um, but. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting to see how much, how much, and how little we've changed every time we do this. Mm-hmm. How people and cultures change, and the importance of—I don't know—for this one, I think the importance of like feeling emotions and you know, you know, confronting things, whether that's like mourning or whether that's like, oh my god, there's a cat at my door and it terrified the mm. living word out of me. Um, you know, it's just. I think it's really funny that you ha- that both of these showed up kind of on either end of this thing. So um, I don't want to go on about it or anything. But this uh, has been a long episode. This has been a long episode at this point. Um, once again, thank you all for listening. This I don't know how much of a bummer this was, or you know. But anyway, thank you all for listening so much. This is the Ozark superstition stuff is always really fun to do, but sometimes it just like entails some not so fun situations in life. And hopefully we did it justice and made light of it also. And we're respectful anyway, saying all that don't bathe tonight, Peyton. I'll never bathe. How about that? Watch just out for birds rapping at your door. Just like some, avoid all my mirrors. Uh, yeah. You're, you're in lots of, you're in a very ominous position. I don't, I don't um, have a gun. So I think I'm fine there. Yeah. Yeah, don't yeah, don't kick that thing over <laughs> whatever you do. Uh and don't go pooping in the street tonight. Uh I don't have a sister, I'm good. I'll poop in all the streets. Okay, sure. <laughs> have at it. Have at it. You wreck with reckless abandon. Uh anyway, yeah. thank you all so much for listening. This has been a lot of fun to get back into this. You'll hear some more from us in the future. Peyton, uh next week we'll have an episode. I will. Uh, solo episode. I will have a solo episode. I'm going to do some comparisons uh, between cities that I've been visiting on this summer just for vacation. Um, and it's not just about my vacation experiences. It's actually digging into the intricacies of the city. And I'd like to compare that to Northwest Arkansas. What do we have going for us? What do we not have going for us? What do 
other cities have that are just really cool and unique that maybe we can't copy? Or how did those cities become what they are? So I'm hoping to dig into those and do a little comparison of us versus other cities and see what we what we got. Yeah, so Peyton's going on a field trip tomorrow to go mm-hmm. uh, do some more homework. I'm Yeah, I'm only traveling to do the episode. On, you know. I mean, on the Hey Hey and WA Dime, which I uh-huh. really argued about with him <laughs> and stuff. Um, just wrote it off, just, you know, you know. All the fancy dinners. Capital spend management got it approved. Uh-huh. It's pretty great. My manager approved of the transaction. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Sure. I don't know what any of that means. Um, anyway, yeah, thanks for listening. After that, we will be back to normal episodes by that time, I believe. Um, third week, full third Monday of August, we'll be back to normal episodes. Um, and then if you uh, want to see us before then, we'll be doing karaoke and trivia. Come see us at Bike Rack. We'll share those events. Uh, we won't keep you any longer, but thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. It's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited to be back, and I'm looking forward to see what this season has for us. See you around. We're going to figure out our end catchphrase eventually. It's just we don't have it right now for season four. Oh. Just as a reminder, season two was That's the Jam. Season three was uh, Have a Heck of a Heck of a Day with Hey Hey NWA. And then we got to come up with one now. Will, will it just be death to podcast? <laughs> it's just death. <laughs> Let's wrap this podcast in linens and lay it in the ground where the dog rolled around. That's really long-winded. We'll figure it That's out. That's a lot. Yeah. All right. See y'all.